0: G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. The best startups have a great idea, one that almost seems obvious in retrospect, and on this show we're talking to two founders who are turning those great ideas into great companies. Tanya Walters Observer is transforming the landscape for every company that has a field service force, and that's nearly every big company you've ever heard of. Meanwhile, Rene Welsh's booking boss is meeting the needs of a massive and fast-growing tourism sector that has always had to roll their own ticketing solutions. Either of these businesses could be Australia's next unicorn, and you'll hear from both on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website. (laughs) Back in August, I found myself at an extraordinary pitching competition. It's a dolphin tank. There were 10 female founders. Each of them were pitching their post-accelerator startups. And it was a panel of very esteemed judges, several of whom have already been on the show, that were listening and making comments, I was impressed, incredibly impressed, by the consistently high quality of every one of these startups. And I promised you during our interview with Topaz Conway that you would be hearing from a few of those startups. I'm going to be making good on that promise now. As a way of intro, one of the things that's mostly invisible to people in the world who use the products of any large business Maybe that's the products of a mine, or the products of a construction firm, or a rail network, or it really doesn't matter. What's invisible to us is the amount of behind-the-scenes work that's needed to make sure that all of the pieces are running smoothly. Because if any of those pieces breaks, well, the whole thing comes crashing down. Things don't get delivered on time. Customers have a bad product experience. It puts a dent into profits. People get fired. So keeping all of those bits running not only is an important, but it's an expensive proposition. And those running costs are a big part of any business that's operating at scale. So anything that helps to cut those costs is going to be welcome, maybe even a little bit disruptive, which brings us to Tanya Walter, who is the co-founder and CTO? CEO. Pardon me. The (laughs) co-founder and CEO of Observer, which is a Brisbane-based startup and a recent Dolphin Tank alumni that's working to solve this problem. Tanya, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I apologize for getting your title wrong. No
1: problem.
0: (laughs) Okay, so tell us a little bit about what Observer does.
1: So, Observer is a field service automation tool. And what that means is that businesses that operate with a distributed workforce, be they engineering companies or a mine or even the government who has distributed workforce going out doing anything from public housing and works Mm -hmm. inspections for their assets or um, sampling the environment up at the Great Barrier Reef. Mm -hmm. These are what we know as a distributed workforce. Mm -hmm. And those are very large companies doing more than one thing. They don't only do asset management. They don't only do environment management. They do those and a lot more. So those companies that operate with a distributed workforce need software solutions that they can standardise across their organisations and that they can rapidly deploy and develop and that can help their mobile workers make them more connected to their enterprise as well as to their customers.
0: And, I mean, in some ways, you know, we've always had mobile workforces. You think about anyone who's been on a Telstra-repaired crew or meter readers. I mean, businesses have had mobile workforces, but, of course, now every one of them has a smartphone and maybe a yeah. tablet and whatever. And so now there's a real capacity yeah. to be able to take each of these workers and make them smarter.
1: Yes. So what, what that means, making them smarter, is we no longer just provide them with a form onto their mobile device we actually link them back to the corporate and we actually pre-populate information using our predictive analytics that we have in the back end we pre-populate that information that makes them faster Mm -hmm. and it makes them smarter and it enables them to make decisions out in the field and potentially move on to the next job if they can't complete this job over here and it makes them safer because now they are connected not only to their corporate but to their teams in the field so that we can see who is at what position, where is there a safety concern, mm-hmm. and send back the alerts and the exceedances based on information that's provided digitally and no longer in that paper forms process. So
0: this is really about making all of this then very real time. Right? Correct. It's, it's not just about filling in a form and pressing a submit button, which, you know, that was the first level of where people went with the yeah. smartphone because that was What people first thought of. But now it's about the fact actually everyone's out there, everyone's continuously connected. So now we're gathering this information and making decisions. And not just the center, but every point on the periphery are now making decisions.
1: Well, you have two situations. Some customers are um, able to be continuously connected because they're in areas Mm -hmm. where they have connectivity. Mm -hmm. And that's great because uh, they can now have the information resynchronized and you know, get the newest information or get the latest assignment work or work order. Uh, but where you have customers that work remotely, Great Barrier Reef or Far North Queensland, let's say, or no. Far North Western or Western Australia, what we also now do is send them the database, the corporate information,
0: right.
1: to their device. Right. So we part of our P, our IP has actually been to be able to replicate the necessary information. So that even if they are offline, they can now create a work order, they can create an incident, they can create a hazard there and then, use the GPS that's on the device to pre-populate where am I, take the photographs, be prompted based on the corporate SOP or compli- standard operating procedure or compliance workflow as to what they need to complete for that incident or for that hazard or for that inspection. And they don't need to actually be connected because the information is now stored on their device and securely stored in that vault of that device.
0: So this is really about empowering everyone to be able to make decisions on the fly because they've got access to the information they need to make right decision in a given situation
1: so what we know is that for every two days a field worker spends in the field Mm -hmm. they spend one day back at the office recapturing information Mm -hmm. uploading photographs tagging those photographs tagging maybe voice or video so what we're doing now is enabling them to not just come back to the office and recapture administrative work but now take that information and put it into a business intelligence tool and say, well, what can I get, what value do I get out of this information Mm -hmm. now, rather than just being a typist that recaptures information. So we've taken those workers and that organization to the next level of interpreting data and adding value back to their customers, which was previously being hemorrhaged on peer administration work.
0: I don't want you to dance over the point that you're kind of making light of now, which is that you've actually increased an individual worker's productivity in the field by 30% because they're not spending that day doing data entry. And so at one level, just by doing that, without getting into, and we will get into the other uh, intelligence issues, but just by that, you are now providing 30% more productivity per employee because you're giving them the support they need to be able to do all of the yeah. capture and all of the analysis in the field.
1: Well, that's what we say, We, we I'm not selling a tool, I'm not selling software, I'm creating value. Mm-hmm. I'm creating that by making your mobile workforce 33% more productive. Doing I, that is pre-population, it's automatic alerts, et cetera, et cetera. That's how we do it, but what we're doing is creating value by making your mobile workforce more efficient and more productive.
0: And now... Once you've got that, and once they are more productive, then you can bring the business intelligence yeah, in yeah. because you can take a look at things.
1: The workers we work with now, let, let's think of ourselves, let's think of the new, the next generation coming into the workforce. They don't want to just be typing out forms on Excel spreadsheets. They want to say, well, what can well, I do with this data? It's not clear that
0: anyone ever wanted to do that, yeah. but it was a job.
1: But what can I do with this data now? I want to have some business intelligence. What about drone data coming in? How do I link this? How do mm. I now add value these guys are graduating with these immense minds and immense ability to think past and outside of the box. And what we want to do is say to them, well, here's your data mm-hmm. you've now captured across all 10,000 workers throughout the whole of the US or Canada or Australia, now let's look at what information we can extract from that and say, for this component, we saw this component failed 33% of the time Mm -hmm. in the last 12 months. Let's go back to the manufacturer and say, hey, your component is failing more than your warranty says any bit of information or oh, re- rental cars we can see that this particular rental company fails and we have you know comebacks from our field workers so let's actually talk to that rental company and let's not use that rental company anymore so you can really start honing in on where the costs are being spent or where the whole points are in your business process not only just the actual event that your distributed workforce is doing but across the whole workforce and say, well, how do I improve efficiencies across that workforce? Because I have the data.
0: And is it easy to be able to find, are these needles in a haystack, or do they really stick out because they are so exceptional?
1: What we normally try and encourage customers to do is, Work with your 80%. Mm-hmm. Where are 80% of the issues coming out? Let's deal with that. So Once an 80-20. That
0: the whole world is 80-20s.
1: Your Pareto. Once that 80% drops off because you've dealt with it, oh, here's the next one that right. pops up. So it's it's hard Part of what what we do is educate. So we educate people. We don't just deliver software, as I said. We educate people to understand why would you do this? What's the value for in for you, for your company, for your workforce? Um, and now, how do you actually go about doing it? It's not just the data you're capturing. It's the value you're creating. It's the insights you're getting. And we help them understand how, or they can get consultants in to do it. But we help them understand. How do they actually now use that data and start sifting through and finding the little gold nuggets to make them more successful?
0: (laughs) You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci with a few words about Twista Series sponsors Braintree, code for easy online payments entrepreneurs around the world have used braintree as a simple way to accept paypal and credit cards and debit cards and whatever is coming next with a single scalable integration you get robust fraud protection on 130 currencies around the world making your global expansion a snap and using braintree it's as easy as integrating a few lines of code getting your business up and running fast to learn more visit braintreepayments.com twista And we're back talking to Tanya Walter, the CEO of Observer. Okay, so we now have this system in place. And I assume you're selling this as software as a service?
1: Correct. It's a software as a service.
0: Now, where did you get your first customers? Did you find them in Australia or did you find them overseas?
1: I found them here in Australia based on the networks that I had um, created. I'm a software developer Mm -hmm. as well as a... um, project manager that has worked for the coal seam gas companies, particularly here. So in- you've
0: actually been, to yes. crack a pun, at the coalface yes. on this.
1: Yes. I, I was at the coalface in Africa, implementing mobility products based on the need of fraud. Mm-hmm. And we were hemorrhaging money because it was criminally being stolen. Mm-hmm. But when I arrived here in Australia, we were still hemorrhaging value, but it was perfectly acceptable. <laughs> and
0: Because it was the way things were done. Yes. Right. Yes.
1: So that's why I sort of took a step back and said, but hang on, there is a way to fix this. Mm -hmm. There is a way to plug that hole.
0: And when you came back to these companies and said, look, I have this tool that will help plug the hole, were they shocked? Were they excited? What was that sales cycle like? I mean, if someone comes to me and says, I'm going to save you one third of your manpower costs, I think i just say yes. But did they think that?
1: It depends on who you're talking to. So the so the 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 um, CIOs and the CFOs go lovely. Let's have a conversation, <laughs> but the engineers who are quite comfortable with spending two days in the field and one day back at the office, right. they say, oh, "Well, what does that mean for me?" So it more time I, in the field. Part of the lesson has been make sure you're speaking to the right person. Right. Otherwise, you won't get the reception that you expected because for them it's convenient to be taking so much time because they have a job.
0: Mm. And they have a cycle and they have a flow and they they understand. It's
1: also age dependent. The youngsters go, fabulous, I'll use it today, because they see the value. They don't want to be filling out forms. So there's a lot of factors that have come into play that I've learned about who I speak to and what the conversation is.
0: Now how long has Observer been going as a company?
1: So we launched um, in July 2015. Mm-hmm. I started just before that in terms of specification and software development, but we officially launched to the market in July 2015.
0: Now let's let's take this. So you've now been through SB Australia, SBE Australia's Dolphin Tank program. How did you even hear about yeah.
1: that? So Springboard Enterprise um, was known to a couple of the Brisbane ladies here mm-hmm. um, through Women in Technology. Mm-hmm. And um, one of my mentors, um, who was a previous... Um, Springboard alumni, Lauren Hall, she mentioned to me that their intake was closing. Mm-hmm. I think it was two or three days. And <laughs> oh, maybe you should, you know, apply and see
0: what happens. How many hours did you... Spend? Are there a lot of forms and whatnot to fill out?
1: So fortunately, I think the process that they have was quite self-explanatory right. and it wasn't too cumbersome. So I, I spent one day and one night okay. and I just, I knew the value that I would get from, How did
0: you know the value? Because Lauren had because sort of Lauren
1: had, had mentioned it, um, and it's a global company. Mm. So Springboard, being an American affiliation, you know they come out of there with with K um, it's That for me is very important. Observer is not a local Brisbane business; it's a global startup. So me being affiliated with a global partner is what is important to me.
0: And Topaz made it very clear that the job of SB Australia is to take you and make you a global startup powerhouse.
1: Global, sustainable, scalable businesses. That is what we are building.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There he is. It sounds like you may have memorized that. Yes,
1: we were all told to memorize that.
0: But but that's exactly what you want, because what you're doing, to come back to Observer for a second, what you're doing is a form of process management, that's applicable across yes. how many businesses around the world?
1: Well, in mining alone, it's probably um, a billion, $1.5 billion market. Aged care, in-home age and disability care, it's probably a $3 billion market. Infrastructure management? Infrastructure, all of those. You, you're, you're talking about billions of dollars of sec- in these sectors right. uh, where where inefficiency is, is the norm. And I think going forward, particularly in the in-home age and disability Mm. care, that market that currently services the clients, they are themselves ageing. So you're getting a lot of the young people coming in. One, they want to work with technology. And you also have uh, less people coming into that market. So you need to be able to do more with less. And you do that using a digitized process and and moving away from the current manual process. And
0: presumably also it allows them to work much more flexibly around all of this in every case because you can... If you can't do this, you can go on to do yes. that. Or if you can't do that, then you have You're some. not
1: driving into an office to collect the papers of, you know, where am I going? What's the client's needs? What was the previous? It just arrives on your device and you know where to go. Which, onto.
0: when you put it like that, it makes total sense. But, of course, it was literally impossible to work that way. So is Observer a company literally of the moment? Is it in the right place at the right time to be able to take advantage of the deployment of smartphones and 4G networks and all of this?
1: I definitely believe so because we're not only focused on um, a mining or engineering workflow and we're not just focused on one specific niche. What we've said is that the world that we're working is becoming a very mobile work, Mm. a very mobile workforce. People not only want to have flexible, particularly the mothers coming in, females coming in. We want to be able to work flexibly. We want to not have to go into a specific place to be able to check in. We no longer have the clock cards on on the walls anymore. What I want to do is be managed from an outcomes perspective. Mm -hmm. I want to know what the work is I need to achieve. What's the history? Give me all the data because I am a knowledge worker. I know what I've studied many years to do this. You pay me at this rate to go and do the work. Now give me the tools to go and do the work.
0: You are very articulate and very clear on what you're doing as a business. So did SBE Australia help bring that out of you, or was it there when you walked in? No,
1: gosh. So SBE Australia, I remember the uh, boot camp. The one uh, previous alumni said, don't be afraid. One or two of you will end up crying on day one, and one or two of you will. And, you know, it's it's about us critically reflecting one we are women Mm -hmm. so we are not as um aggressive and as assertive as the men are so we certainly don't get
0: rewarded for it
1: no and we need to learn to be that we need to learn certain things of how to sell ourselves how to sell our business when is it a a personal pitch or a business pitch know your numbers know those financials uh, go after the market strongly do not have a lower Um, reflection of what you can achieve. You can achieve it all, Mm. so do it. Don't say, if I just get this, or maybe, or I think you will. So speak that. Speak what it is. Speak the outcome that you want. Don't be timid about who you are and what you want to achieve.
0: This was the interesting thing talking to Tobaz is that the boot camp sounds like it's as much about working on the inside of how you think As a business person, as it is working on the outside of the business. Yes.
1: Day one is we work on the inside. Mm -hmm. And this is what Amy and um, the ladies will tell you. We take you apart. We work on the inside a bit. And then we move day two, we we move to the business and the outside. And they build you back up. But they build you back with a good framework and a good structure for success, not only for yourself, but for your business.
0: So it sounds like you're a big fan. I'm a big fan. (laughs) Well, this is, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the proof was in the pudding because again, I saw pitch after pitch after pitch, and you know, I go through a fair number of pitches and ten pitches. Some of them are just not going to sing, right? And you know, some were better than others. There's, there's no question about that. But they were all uniformly at a really high standard. There was nothing where you just went. Oh, no, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. You know, which always happens as a pitching competition. So when I get to, to something like that, I go, okay, what's happening here is clearly working. And then you had 10 weeks in the accelerator after that, Yes, right? so we
1: had 10 weeks of mentoring. Right. Yeah.
0: And how was that?
1: Wow. So that in itself, um, again, you, you arrive with your mentors online. They hook you up with mentors in the U.S., with mentors locally. And it's a very intimidating process because these mentors are really hot shots. Right. It's not just people who, you know, oh, I do a bit of this on the side. These are people with years of experience, with really big clout, with really big networks who are just giving you their time, their brains, their learnings for no, you know, for no benefit of their own. They are just there to help you. So that is a very humbling experience, just these people giving you of themselves
0: but to turn this around because topaz did say that one of the things that she's proud of is that she's building a sisterhood of people who are going to be mentoring you're now part of that so it's going to be up to you soon to actually give it back right
1: a very big important mantra for any startup and the first thing that you learn is give back it's always about giving back give back your what you've learned give back your time um, one thing that's important for a startup to learn is to be selfish mm. with your time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of events that go on. There's a lot of things that you do. You're doing a lot yourself. And there's a lot of good happening in the ecosystem, but you can't do it all. So be very specific about what you do put your focus and your attention to. And one of those is mentoring and giving back to the sisterhood, if you want to use that term, but to other women in startups, and women are particular importance for me because I've been through the lesson and the learning curve that they need to go through Mm. and the men, they just get it I mean, I have a 9 year old son and a 6 year old daughter and I see they get it they're just born differently they behave differently so I spend a particular amount of, of, of time mentoring and just being with other ladies going through this process just to encourage them to be brave and to go and do it and to keep fighting that good fight every day
0: Tanya Walter, thank you very much for being on this week in Startups Australia.
1: Thank you very much for having me, it's wonderful.
0: Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I'm inviting you to come by and visit our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. We have photos of the guests this week. We have links to their websites. We, of course, have the podcasts from all of the series and lots of other information that's really useful if you're a startup entrepreneur, if you're an investor, or if you're just interested in startups. So come by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. <laughs> one of the biggest areas of the global economy in terms of sectors is travel and tourism and although that's the case we have gone three years on twister without doing a single startup in that segment and i have been racking my brains as to why i don't really have a good answer because there are loads of startups in the tourism and travel sector There are hundreds of billions of dollars in this sector being spent every year, and there are established monster brands like TripAdvisor that have gone in and disrupted the space, and there's obviously more room for smart startups to come in and grab their own slice of this continuously growing market. Well, we're lucky enough to have the founder of one of the newest startups in this space on our show. Renee Welsh is the co-founder and CEO of Booking Boss, and like Tanya Walter, she is a recent graduate of the Dolphin Tank Bootcamp and Accelerator. Welcome, Renee.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So tell us a little bit about Booking Boss.
2: So Booking Boss is an online booking management system for tours, activities, and attractions. Mm -hmm. So we work in a niche of the overall tourism space.
0: Okay, but when you say a niche, how big is that niche?
2: It's still a $100 billion industry. (laughs) So
0: this is the, in tourism, all of the numbers are huge. Okay, so you have this $100 billion (laughs) niche (laughs) that you're working in. Go on.
2: Correct. Um, So we essentially provide them with a business management platform uh, to enable them to Provide a better customer experience.
0: Now, are, are these companies having to roll their own right now? Is there no real good platform for them here?
2: There hasn't been traditionally. Uh, it's quite a new area. Mm-hmm. Uh, what um, we're still competing with is spreadsheets, uh, diaries, pen and paper. Roll your own. Yeah. Uh, some of them have gone so far as to develop their own system. Right. But realise so the So literally roll literally your own. Literally roll their own. Uh, but have realised the cost... You know, it's quite prohibitive to do that and continue to evolve as technology evolves and particularly at the rapid rate it is now.
0: Well, and if God forbid the person who designed your spreadsheet gets hit by a bus and then <laughs> well, where are you?
2: Well, exactly. And, and this is the thing is a lot of them aren't managing managing their customers very well because right. the spreadsheets, you know, are deleted or yeah. the diary is lost or something happens yeah. and,
0: yeah. you know,
2: they don't know who's about to arrive. Oh, and it makes them very difficult to run and, their business, and
0: I have to tell you, there was a there there's a very large hotel in Port Douglas that I was scheduled into as part of a large conference. And when we arrived, none of our rooms were ready, and people had traveled six, seven hours with small children who were all quite fussy because they were all, you know absolutely and and it was the kind of thing where you'd expect this very large facility to have this better managed, and somehow it hadn't happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, hotels, I think, are are still a little way ahead of our sector. Mm. Uh, We're catching up. But now that there's technology like Booking Boss servicing this industry, it definitely has improved the overall customer experience and just customer expectations in general. You know, these days you want instant booking, you want instant ticketing, and we can provide that now.
0: Okay, so how, if I have, if I'm in a, an operator in one of the areas that you've identified an attraction operator Mm -hmm. how do I hear about and then how do I use your system how do I use Booking Boss
2: so the general consumer won't actually know about Booking Boss we provide the technology to the attraction Mm -hmm. so let's take a zoo for example Mm -hmm. Uh, if you go onto their website and want to book a ticket uh, in a lot of cases zoos still don't have instant online booking so we're providing them with the ability to be able to purchase a ticket for the zoo that day and jump the queue essentially Mm -hmm. But beyond that, it's about managing all of the channels that the zoo sells their tickets through. So we've got an integrated channel manager that connects into Expedia. Mm -hmm. So when you book your hotel, you can also add on your zoo trip. So
0: this is kind of like Salesforce, but for the zoos and for the amusement parks and all of this stuff. I, I guess this begs the question, why hasn't anyone thought of this before?
2: Well, that's a very good question, and I do know the answer. It's because it's a really hard industry to crack. Uh, it's a very fragmented sector, so we've got very large attractions, mm-hmm. theme parks, major zoos, right through to micro-businesses. Right. So we've got a lot of hobbyist businesses, right. great at surfing. The little
0: croc farm down Absolutely. the way in Port Douglas. <laughs> you know, no, decide, to, no? decide, to, decide
2: yeah. to pop up their own little attraction or their own business um, out, out of their hobby. and so, so are
0: you making it much easier for those folks to onboard into business as a result of this?
2: Yes, we are. I, absolutely. We're providing them with the tools to be able to manage their business effectively, instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very cost effective because it's a subscription-based solution.
0: So it's SaaS. Correct which means that the investors like it will come to that in (laughs) a minute. So uh, at the big end of the market, those folks probably have their own fairly well-developed systems. Are you trying to go after them as clients or are you just going after sort of the smaller end?
2: No, our core actually is in the medium to enterprise. So we've got a lot of customers in that area of the industry. And what we've found in that area is that they have multiple systems. So Ah. over the 10 years or 20 years that they've been running, they've got a system that specializes in this little bit and then and that one does this bit, but nothing has been able to manage it end to end. And so what we're finding is we're tendering for these businesses because we have a solution that can replace, in some cases, up to 12 to 15 systems.
0: That all developed organically as the business grew.
2: That's right, Yeah.
0: Okay, so does that mean that they're coming to you and they're throwing petals of roses in your feet because you're – well, are you making life easier for them? Is that part of the sale here?
2: Of course it is, yeah. We're making life easier. We're streamlining their their administration, saving them time, and also in some cases increasing their revenue because they're now able to access customers directly um, via their own online channels or increase their distribution channels via our channel manager.
0: Okay, so it's. I mean, this this is the sales pitch. Now, how are you doing in terms of traction with your clients?
2: As in, in how are we increasing their revenue? Well, or in uh, terms how, of us actually serving clients. How, you up? know,
0: who were your first clients, and how did you grow organically from that?
2: So, I guess our history is that um, it's my husband and my business, mm-hmm. which obviously has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. But um, we actually started with an agency. So we had a web development and digital strategy business. Right. And a lot of our clients were tour and activity operators. Oh,
0: so it was really driven by what they were asking for.
2: Exactly. And so of those clients that we had at the time, we had a skydive company, we had a V8 racing um, client... Um, just two of of many, they actually championed and worked with us very closely on the beta version of Booking Boss.
0: So you have built-in clients because they were the people who were going to be using it at the time.
2: Yeah, and they've really driven, um, I guess, the development, the feature set, but also looking at their processes and how we can improve their business process mm. beyond just the feature set of the technology, which I think is a really key differentiator for us.
0: So they're using your tool as a platform to be able to improve business process. That's that's quite an accomplishment because you normally think about a business tool forcing a business process into an un, unnatural shape. Mm. But if you're saying it's actually freeing them to be able to release the potential of the business, that means that you may be doing something right there.
2: Well, we think we think we are.
0: <laughs> All right. So when did you make the leap from sort of the, the work that you were being driven by your clients to going, okay, we now can actually take this and sell this outside of that circle of clients that we've had?
2: That happened a lot faster than what we expected actually so
0: did someone just hear about it because someone else saw it was it word of mouth or
2: mainly word of mouth so our customers speaking to other people that operated on the racetrack or other businesses that they worked with in the area and then it sort of snowballed from there and very quickly it like the,
0: This is a horrible business story. This is never the kind of business you want where you have word of mouth and snowballing sales. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's still a lot of hard work. Yes. I'm certainly not going to underestimate the, the level of hard work that we've had to put in over the last few years. But um, it was a really fantastic situation when we started out. Mm-hmm. It very quickly eclipsed our consulting business mm-hmm. and uh, became our sole business.
0: So you had to make the decision, I guess at one point, to say, okay, the consulting business was lovely, but we need to dedicate ourselves full-time to this. Was that a hard decision for you to make? Because you, you're you flipping into startup mode from... Consulting mode is not the same thing, right? Consulting mode is lifestyle business. You can sort of modulate it around your knees, whereas startup mode is you're all in.
2: Oh, yeah. It was, it was a very interesting transition for us. However, I have to say it was one that we never second-guessed. We always went into business together wanting to have a product, wanting to have a startup. We weren't sure what that was, which is why we dabbled in the consulting Ah. area. And this presented itself as an opportunity and we grabbed it.
0: So you really used the consulting business as almost your antenna to be able to sort of see what was good. And as soon as you found that good thing, you were able to lock onto it and follow it up.
2: I don't know if that was intentional at the time, but that's definitely what happened for us. <laughs> but, it's,
0: but it's not, I mean, for, for smart people who don't know what they want to do but know they want to do something, that may not be a bad model for other folks to learn Absolutely. from.
2: Absolutely. It really worked for us. And while we were consulting, we really got to understand our clients' businesses and dig a little deeper, which we hadn't had an opportunity to do in our corporate jobs. Mm. And so it really gave us an opportunity to do that and identify a
0: niche. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and as we get closer to the end of Series 4 and move into Series 5, it's time for us to look for new sponsors. If you would like to be on this show as a sponsor, reaching five 6,000 people every show... Please contact us. I'm Mpeshi at gmail.com, and we can discuss advertising options. And we're back with Rennie Welsh, the co-founder and CEO of Booking Boss. All right, you did mention, so you co- your co-founder is your husband. It is, yes. How does, how does that work? Because this is not uncommon, right? No, absolutely. And so how do you negotiate the, the transactional and the personal?
2: I think it's a learned uh, response and rhythm that you get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, it was really tough in the early days of this st- of our business because we were working so heavily and so many hours yeah. together. Uh, Did you ever get a little hard. sick
0: of one another?
2: Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Because we were we were together twenty four seven. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> it can get intense in those early days. But I have to say, one of the great things about our partnership um, is that we have very different skill sets. So Andy brings the technology, the software, the architecture. Mm-hmm. I bring the marketing, business, development
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and travel experience. So when we put those two together, we ultimately have always want the same thing. We're building the business together right. for the same aims, which definitely helps. Uh, but there are always challenges along the way, whether you're married to that person or not. Right, it just absolutely. adds a different dynamic, doesn't it? <laughs> I think
0: it probably does. Now, how did you come into Dolphin Tank and SBE Australia? How did all of that happen?
2: So I had quite a few um, people in my network recommend that I sign up or okay. a- apply. So I word of say. mouth again. Yeah, word of mouth. Uh, I'd never considered signing up for an accelerator program before, mm-hmm. um, let alone a female accelerator program. So. When it was introduced or first introduced to me, I wasn't sure what to expect. But after doing some digging and speaking to some other people who had experienced the program, uh, it sounded fantastic and I applied.
0: And you were among, I think, a, a big cohort that got whittled down to this final sort of 10 that got taken in. You got, I think you start off with a three day boot camp, right? I did, yes. And the, the way Tanya explained it and Tanya's interview is immediately before yours, it sounded a bit like they broke you down and <laughs> built you back up. It was like going to Est for the weekend. Could you talk about that?
2: Uh, definitely. I agree with Tanya on that one. Um, it was quite confronting, actually, walking in and you really needed to let down your guard and embrace it. <laughs> there was no other way, actually. Right. Uh, but what it did do, which I found interesting, was it bonded the 10 of the cohort very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I liken it to military-style you know, style boot camp where they break you down, you bond quickly, and, and then you work together.
0: Right, and you're ready to go to war.
2: Exactly, exactly. And it really did bond us and you know, never felt competitive with any of the other right. cohort. We supported each other through that process. Uh, and it was quite fantastic
0: and you could even see that I think during the pitching you know even though there was sort of there's some competition in the pitching it really felt more like all of you were supporting one another and very very happily applauding one another when you did your pitches there was something that was quite genuine about that that I think really carried over
2: I'm glad that actually came through on the night because we've all formed fantastic, you know, relationships and long term friendships um, as part of the springboard program. And we really did genuinely want each other to succeed, uh, which was a it was a wonderful experience.
0: Okay, so you come out of the the three days and then you now have uh, regular meetings with the mentors and you're part of the mentor network. Now, how does that work and how did that work for you?
2: I think one of the fantastic things about the mentor phase of the program was the work that the springboard executive put in to make sure that your mentors and your group of mentors are directly aligned with your aims.
0: So they were from travel and tourism in your case?
2: Yes, travel and tourism. Uh, in my case, um, payments, mm-hmm. a diff- different area of our business. Yep. Um, so they really pick people that are experts in that area okay. that I, can, I could learn from and I know that they did that for all the other... And
0: were the mentors, uh, did the mentors challenge you a lot around your decisions? I mean, what was your process with them?
2: So the initial process was an introductory call. And uh, in that call, we actually had to do a 10-minute pitch. So a lot of the mentors um, were not familiar with my business at Uh that point. They'd they'd had a synopsis and had a read-through, but they hadn't actually spoken to me previously. So that was a great, It was, I guess it was a bit like boot camp in that regard. It's dive in. Get stripped down, get different opinions right. on on what your business does and how you should frame it and what you should do, and then take that and work it into your your pitch, okay. and uh, that process really worked well.
0: So, did you find that the idea of Booking Boss, I guess, did it change? Did it become more refined? What would you say happened to Booking Boss through your process through uh, Dolphin Tank?
1: The
2: business itself didn't change because we were a little bit further advanced than some of the other businesses within um, the program. However, what did happen was it completely refined my pitch, right. completely refined my you know, two and three minute pitch. But also for me as a person gave me a lot more confidence uh, in, in pitching and in, I guess, asking for help which is one of the challenges I think a lot of female entrepreneurs suffer from.
0: And this is something, this is a common thread with you and Topaz and Tanya, about I guess being able to ask for it, because women are always seen as the providers of help rather than the people who are asking for it. And so it's, uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a thing about it, whereas men are always like, well, you know, man flu is the classic example of men <laughs> asking for help. Um, and so there's there are cultural frames around it. And it. it I hadn't thought about it until talking to you, folks. That there, that, in fact, to get you on the other side of that frame is um, is amazingly empowering, right? Because it allows you to access things that you wouldn't.
2: Absolutely, and just to be unafraid to put yourself out there and, yeah. and ask for help, and and realizing that there's so many people that want to help you, yeah. and uh, it just totally changes your frame of reference.
0: Now, Topaz talked about the sisterhood of mentors and and. Founders who have been through SBE. Do you feel like you're part of that now? I mean, it sounds like you got that very much with the 10 that you were in, or the nine that you were in Dolphin Tank with, but do you feel that greater continuity now?
2: Absolutely. Uh, one of the great things is the broader network of the Springboard program in Australia, but also in America. Yeah. I'm actually fortunate enough, uh, I think Tanya's coming as well, to be going to the um, Springboard boot camp she in, is, yeah. in New York. Uh, in a few weeks, which I'm really looking forward to. But I've also met Rebecca um, from last year's cohort and a number of the women from last year's cohort who have already been incredibly helpful as well. So you really are able to tap into the broader network.
0: Okay. All right. Let's talk about Booking Boss and the future. Where do you see yourself in in a trajectory? Uh, I'm really thinking that The two companies that are on the show today actually are both unicorns. I mean, can you grow to a billion dollars? Because it seems like there's more than enough business here. How do you do that? What's your path to that?
2: Oh, that's a a great question. Uh, Look, I I believe that we have the capability of doing that and achieving that. And that's certainly... Um, what we're aiming to do. Right Right now, our main focus is uh, the Asia-Pacific region. Mm -hmm. There's a massive opportunity right on our doorstep. And
0: that's the one that's growing fast now.
2: And it's growing uh at a rate of knots uh particularly some of the regions we're expanding into in asia mm-hmm. and interestingly a lot of our competition are fighting it out in america and whilst we're watching that very closely and we do have u.s customers uh our aim is asia pacific at this point
0: okay all right so you're going to look for the growth in the asia pacific and so are you're selling internationally already we right? do yes yeah. i
2: mean we're a cloud-based solution. We have subscribers all over the world that utilize our system. Uh, However, from a a sales perspective, particularly in the enterprise um, attraction sector, Mm -hmm. uh, we are looking at um, the Asia-Pacific area. And
0: I think that makes sense. All right. So... Five years out, you've done your Asia Pacific growth. You know now if there's any attraction from medium to large, they're using you. How much of a market of that um, has have you captured in that?
2: Probably about sixty to seventy percent. Right. There's always. But I'm
0: saying, what's the market size of that in five years' time?
2: In five years' time, uh, the market size of that alone is about forty-five billion dollars.
0: Okay, and you'll have 60 or 70% of that.
2: That's our aim.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I suspect you're going to come closer to that than you could imagine. Renee, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hi, this is Mark. And if there's one thing that every successful startup needs, it's clear vision. And yet, Although Rennie Welsh can pitch Booking Boss perfectly, she didn't start out with that idea. She let the idea grow from interactions with the customers that she had in her consultancy. Those customers gave her the idea, and then they helped her refine it. Tanya Walter, she came out of a business where she was at the coalface of field service. She saw the pain points. She learned how to craft a solution that could save the largest businesses. These are workforces of tens or hundreds of thousands of people. Could save those companies millions of dollars a year. Observer is what happens when you watch and listen and learn. Both of these businesses have passed through the refiner's fire of Dolphin Tank. Both are going from strength to strength because they're tuned in, they're listening, and they're learning. Big thanks to Twista Sponsors Braintree because their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmuth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that is consistently a joy to listen to. Thanks to Tanya Walter and Renee Welsh for taking the time to come on our show. And a big shout-out to Topaz Conway of Dolphin Tank for helping to connect us to our guests. We're back in a fortnight with our final news special of Series 4. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.